From True Africa, I'm Claude Winitsky, and this is Limitless. In this episode, we're talking about African fashion. No, the whole goal is not to manufacture in any specific country. A lot of the struggles that we face is quality controls. We really do give inspiration to other markets. Welcome to Limitless, the podcast that asks the questions that matter for Africa. We're looking for African solutions to African problems. In each episode, we're asking three guests one question that matters to Africans. And, no surprise, they don't always agree. The Limitless podcast is supported by the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation. African fashion is having a moment. The biggest pop star in the world, Beyonce, is championing African designers. One of the most famous museums, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, is devoting an exhibition to African fashion. Why are we still aspiring to owning foreign designers when we could be buying from fashion brands based here? I spoke to a designer, an investor, and an entrepreneur about how to get Africans buying made in Africa. First up is Moses Turahira, the designer and creative director behind the Rwandan high fashion brand Motions. He manufactures his clothes between Rwanda and Italy. His modern interpretations of traditional ceremonial attire were featured in the Victoria and Albert exhibition. Here's our conversation. So hi, Moses. Thank you so much for agreeing to participate and be part of our Limitless Africa podcast. We wanted to talk about your brand, Motions. So in terms of manufacturing, turns out that you manufacture between Rwanda and Italy. Did you actually choose to have a made in Africa approach where you would exclusively manufacture in Rwanda, but felt that you might not have, I guess, the expertise uh, locally? This has been a journey, as I said, motions uh, has been a journey of exploring, but also uh, the core aesthetic of the brand, all me as an artist, is really to find the resources that can work or support my idea first. So no, the whole goal is not to manufacture in any specific country, either from Rwanda or, or Italy. So my brand or my aesthetics are really core in the artisanship, the attention to detail, but also the environment. So they Italy came after I went to develop my skills in fashion design and it went through different people that I was working with because I spent two years doing my master in collection design in Florence and then I found the fusion of like what I was doing in, in my home country Rwanda working with different artisans men and women, sewers, pattern makers and seamstresses and to elevate this kind of uh, knowledge sharing it comes between Rwanda and Italy because these are then two environments that contribute to my experience as an artist. And then all aesthetics come are complementing each other to bringing my idea to life. Consid not considering um, the label or the boxing of like what it where it has to be made or where it, it should be made, but also the freedom of an artist to express with the idea with any resources that can be found around the universe. Do you find that Rwandans are receptive to your specific uh, style and the brand that you have uh, promoted so far? 
I would say very much so because as I said, I, the first people I designed for Irondans because I, they can relate so much with how I interpret my, uh, my kind of designs or because I use some most of the, the, the topics or concepts that are relatable in, in the past culture, but also trying to evolve, trying to create what it looks like the culture today or for the future. Well, thank you so much for saying this. And I really want to talk about this whole made in Africa approach and the importance of creating an African fashion industry. And I'm insisting on the word industry. What does that mean to you as an ambition? I think what is to have an African industry or a made in Africa industry is that we have to think beyond African industry. You know, it, it should not just be African. It should not just be black. It should not be, it should be what it is and the core of like the making. This is where we have to be thinking as artists first before we think of as African artists or African entrepreneurs or African uh, enthusiasts. So I think I would mostly champion for like self-expressions and people being able to pull their work and their efforts out there, but not being limited by, you know, what it really looks like to make in Africa. The next guest is Zaid Osman an entrepreneur behind the streetwear brand Grade Africa. He spent his childhood in the US. When he came back, he started trading American sneakers. He then launched Grade Africa, which now has shops on the waterfront in Cape Town and Mall of Africa in Johannesburg, South Africa. We started off talking about how living in the US shaped his style. Here's our conversation. First off, we wanted to hear more about you and specifically if you can tell us about your brand Great Africa and how you actually got started. My name is Zaid. I was born in Stellenbosch, South Africa. At the age of four, I moved to the States, to Richmond, Virginia with my immediate family. And I was there till grade 10. Um, grade 10, my parents kind of wanted us to come back to South Africa so that they can kind of introduce or reintroduce us to like our South African culture and heritage. When I came back to South Africa, my older brothers and myself started importing a lot of shoes from the States. So stuff like Jordans, Uptempos, Griffies, all like Nike basketball and like baseball signature shoes um, because people locally really wanted those items. And fast forward a few years from that, I got tired of importing and constantly almost reselling um, other people's kind of products. And that's when I was really wanting to create my own brand and kind of a brand that represents South Africa, but then also Africa as a whole. So one of the things that we try to push on this Limitless Africa podcast is a made in Africa approach. And we wanted to know where you manufacture. Cool. So currently, pretty much everything is still made in South Africa. So we have factories we work with in Johannesburg and in Cape Town. Um, as we grow, I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to do that because as we scale up, we obviously need to like scale up operations and production and all of that as well. Um, in an ideal situation, I would always want to produce in South Africa or in Africa as a whole. 
Um, we have also um, worked with some factories in Ethiopia who makes really amazing leather footwear. Um, we did a collaboration with them. We're exploring Mauritius, Lesotho, um, and really just going back and forth with factories and really trying to understand like how do we continue building this brand in Africa. But a lot of the struggles that we constantly face is quality controls, is the cost of manufacturing locally. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all challenges because when you're comparing that with Asia, it's, it's a different world. Um, if I look at Asia, it's, it, Asia is pretty much the manufacturing hub of the world. So you'll have all these massive corporations, whether it's Nike, Adidas, Puma, whoever, um, manufacturing in Asia. And as we scale up, I guess it's looking at it two ways. You know, it's potentially looking at building our own factories locally and training and all of that type of things. But again, it goes back to to cash flow and being able to really support and sustain it. Um, the stuff like government grants that we've constantly tried, and again, it's just like it doesn't it doesn't really. Um, it never really comes through. So it's it's frustrating as well because, you know, the vision that we have for this brand is is very much born and made in Africa. But again, the support that we get from kind of the bigger organizations is is very tricky. What advice would you have for policymakers or legislators or even government officials who are trying to promote this kind of made in Africa? approach to the fashion industry? I think for me, like the advice I would give is looking like deep on the ground, people that are genuinely trying to push it. And I mean, even if I just look at Braid as a whole, as much as it's a fashion brand, it represents a whole community. Um, we have designers from various townships, people working in our retail stores. Um, and these people, it's, it's very grassroots, you know, it's literally something that we're trying to do and we are doing it. You know, we are currently empowering these individuals. We are currently working with local manufacturing. Um, so if I really look at it, I really don't understand why there hasn't really been that crossover yet. Um, or that breakthrough in assistance from these organizations. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, we, we would be looking at how to distribute this product to retailers in the States. Um, and again, still very much grown and born in South Africa. My third guest is Roberta Anan from Ghana. She's had a really fascinating career. She trained as a scientist in the US at Georgetown University but now runs several investment and venture capital funds. She founded the Impact Fund for African Creatives, IFAC, as well as the African Fashion Foundation, which puts money into companies run by fashion designers. So Roberta, how can we create a homegrown fashion industry? Well, I believe in investment is key. So, I mean, for the past decade, I've been um, kind of spearheading the, you know, been one of the main kind of um, proponents to promote African fashion on a global scale through the foundation, which has invested over 1.7 million of our own money, you know, without any external funds for the past decade by promoting scholarships, fellowships, 
supporting industry, you know, opportunities to, for, for PR and for designers to meet new markets and new buyers and all of that. But I believe that funding alone is not important. Like, I mean, it's not the only factor. I think that we also look, need to get over the post-colonial hangover, um, you know, kind of be confident in what we have because we really do give inspiration to other markets and we need to kind of wake up and just understand what it is. And I think it's happening. It's happening. Give us some specific signs that you're seeing showing that it's really happening. You know, look at the um, Kenneth Eze, who is actually in our portfolio. Um, he's a designer from Nigeria. He was the first fellow. So he was the first to actually benefit from the African Fashion Foundation and now in the portfolio of IFAC as a, an investee company. He was the second for the LVMH prize. You have people like Naomi Campbell wearing African designers. There's There's been a shift. Another key thing is education, right? Right. So I'm I on the board of the Condé Nast College of Fashion and Design, mm-hmm. and um, we are really working, um, looking at ways in which we can bridge, you know, the gap between what is being taught in in in, in um, on the international, I'd say, the international standards of teaching for fashion education. That's what we're actually missing here on the continent. Give us some examples, specific examples, because my mom's a seamstress and she was a seamstress in Togo when I was growing up. So I know about these dreams of becoming designers and businesswomen in the fashion industry. What do you think specifically might be very useful on the educational end? I think it's really understanding the business of fashion, Claude. You know, I think yes, we don't learn. A lot of our fashion designers have that you know, the the creative ability to design and to make beautiful clothing, um, but not on the mass scale. You know, they 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 lack the skill set to not the skill set, the infrastructure to actually produce on a large scale. But to compete and to make money, you know, you have to find ways in which you can you know, kind of commercialize your 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 business. So it's not just the creativity, it's the business aspect of creativity. We heard from a fashion entrepreneur, a designer, and an investor. What is clear is that these brands need support from both investors and consumers. Things need to be made in Africa, but they also need to be bought in Africa too. That's why you should support African fashion designers, entrepreneurs, and brands. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit www.trueafrica.co slash limitless or follow True Africa on Facebook and Twitter. Join in the conversation using the hashtag LimitlessAfrica. You've been listening to Limitless. I'm Claude Brunitsky. The Limitless podcast is a production of True Africa. This podcast is made possible with a grant from the U.S. Department of State and the Scene Fire Foundation.